0: Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info, that's halle We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. So our Torah portion for today is a uh, Toldot uh, that correlates to a uh, Genesis chapter 25, uh, starting in verse 19, and that goes through chapter 28 uh, through verse 9. And this is our our Torah portion we're just studying today and read and discuss and see where it leads us. And we also, of course, hopefully the half-tour portion we'll get to that, that's in Malachi, and also uh, a portion in Matthew might get to today too. Obviously, the story of Jacob and Esau and their uh, sibling issues. Before I go to my spiel or, or issues about this topic and in, in presentation, are there any comments or questions I can answer for you? If so, unmute yourself and we can move forward with that. Uh, otherwise, I will go into what I have to say about this topic and what I can share with you. All right, this seems pretty straightforward then. We'll just move forward. So, in this topic, as you will note, obviously, we've covered this many, many times in the past, and this will be no different in the future, I'm sure, as far as the the details between uh, Jacob and uh, Esau. So, a few details I'll bring up to you as you get through this uh, in particular. I will point out, obviously, there's some subtleties in the the text, which we'll discuss. But we're going to discuss a little bit about the nature of Esau himself and what he did or did not perceive as far as what he would have understood at his time. And uh, his self perception as well as perception of uh, Jacob. We are also going to attempt to cover the circumstances regarding the two separation of two brothers, for us, why God wanted them distinctly separate from one another, to not, be, uh, not live together, we live in the same area for very long, and how he wanted them trained separately. And then we will also discuss uh, some of the consequences that Esau and the, ble- the cursing God, blessing or cursing from your perspective about how God saw Esau and not just him as a man, but also his descendants. For as you know, God knows our future and the future of all men, but uh, we don't. So when God curses somebody who doesn't like somebody, there's a reason. As equally, when he likes someone, there's a reason. Do you remember why he said he liked Abraham? God cited the reason he liked Abraham was because Abraham would teach his children and his descendants thereafter the laws and instructions of how to follow and love and obey God. That's what distinguished Abraham of anyone else. So why would God not like Esau? Well, if we do the opposite of Abraham, because if what he liked with Abraham was, was those things, That what he doesn't like is the not teaching of the ways of God to his children or grandchildren, the the descendants thereafter. So we can interpret that's probably one of the primary reasons. And we then find out later on in our New Testament history, that's precisely what occurred. And the descendants of Esau did not follow God's instructions. And when they came came across them, uh, we have the wonderful, one of probably the most famous descendant of Esau, King Herod himself. Uh, being the most, one of the most ruthless rulers over Israel. I'm Not the ruthless, mind you, because obviously there were other foreign nations in charge too that in the past have done bad things too. But uh, King Herod was known for bringing idol worship back literally physically into the temple of God during Messiah's lifetime, or actually maybe just before his lifetime because Messiah wasn't quite born yet when that happened. But anyway, the point is that that's the time period which, which King Herod, the descendant of Esau, did. Anyhow, yeah, we'll
1: get there later. Uh, let's see here. So, <coughs> so it's chapter twenty-five. Going back, it's the first a few verses there.
0: Uh, it is twenty-one, I think it is. Verse twenty-one. It points out that Isaac uh, opposed his wife Rebecca in his prayers, which means he prayed separately from her. Note that there's, it's not that she, he was praying against her. The word opposite means the opposing and independent does not mean against. So he paid independent of Rebecca. I find it fascinating that God listened as it records here, listened to Isaac's entreat, but not necessarily Rebecca's, meaning there's no indication. He said, Our text doesn't give us indication that God said, Hey, Rebecca, I hear you. I'm going to answer your prayers. It is hearing the prayers of Isaac that apparently God replied, responded after a 20 year span of marriage. So, uh, So Isaac is 60 when Esau and Jacob are born. That places Abraham still alive. So Abraham was alive when his grandsons were born. And not only that, he lived for about 15 more years. So those two boys were between 14 to 15 years old before Abraham died. So they would have known, not only known Abraham, they would have known him very, very well. And particularly because Isaac and Abraham dwelt together. I mean, they were the same household because all of Abraham's possessions belonged to Isaac. So Abraham, the grandpa, would have been involved in those two boys' lives. Uh, through at least the, the, the first 15, 14 to 15 years of their existence so it brings us to our first encounter with, Isaac, with Jacob and Esau is his birthright what do you know of birthrights don't have to answer questions think about it so we know that there are, the Torah has certain rules of birthright the firstborn son gets a double portion of anyone else of all the other siblings and he also right of inheritance for the property if there's if there's physical land that goes to the firstborn son. Those are birthrights. Uh, there's not necessarily other things the son may may not receive, but those are his rightful ownership.
1: Esau and Jacob, who valued those things? I'll think about that for a minute.
0: What was Esau's? M- method of survival how did he how did he provide for himself it was through hunting right hunter hunter gatherer type of individual those possessions that he owns as far as all the flocks and the herds and the, the servants and everything else that that isaac may, may, may have those were not esau's primary means of self-supporting his primary means were his own hands that did it now contrast that to jacob what was Jacob's method of survival? The opposite. He used all those things his father was blessed with in order to gain and improve. So, that, so we have a conscience of two boys. Actually, I say the boys are both men. The two men and how they used and valued those possessions. And we think at times, okay, they're just possessions. And they are. But in reality, who blessed Isaac and Abraham with those possessions? It was God. Now God did not tell Isaac and Abraham, "Go hunt for yourselves; you will live off the land." He blessed Isaac and Abraham through cattle herds, flocks, servants, that type of thing, and also with Isaac as farmer, as able to grow crops. Those were blessings that God gave to him. Those independent of his hunting on his own hands. Well, Esau's method was not to value necessarily those items. Not that he hated them, didn't spurn them, they didn't necessarily value them as much as Jacob valued them. So they have these two men that have two different viewpoints in their personal life, how they view their world and, and their existence, and it is important that we understand that with the birth with it with the, from the from the in the womb from Re, Rebecca onward, these two boys would have opposite ways of life, and opposite ways of life is a good thing. Was Ishmael and Isaac were those two been separated? because out of arbitrariness between Sarah and Hagar, or because God wanted them separated. God wanted them separated as he says so. Well, the New Testament authors, as well as the text itself, implies that God is the one who said, hey, this is right. Send Ishmael away. Because the, blood, the, 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 the son of flesh shall not inherit the son of spirit, as we learned from our New Testament authors. Esau and Jacob are the same. So Esau gets sent away so to speak and jacob said away they need to be divided from one another esau much like uh, ishmael would not inherit the same as jacob and god of course told rebecca that when she was young or when she was pregnant so uh let's see so in this case as we as we went through here obviously esau being his name and and jacob we've covered names before uh and and uh as far as, as, far as the, the being, Esau's name being clearly developed and such, and Jacob being his heel grabber. I'll point out in, in chapter, or sorry, verse 32, uh, Esau was not tricked out of his birthright. There's a no trickery involved there. Uh, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Put yourself in Esau's shoes. You've been hunting all day, or you're tired, you're exhausted. Are you actually going to die? Mind you, you made it home. There are servants. There's your mom and dad Are there. There are people there. There are provisions. They have food around. Do you truly believe you're going to die or are you being
1: melodramatic? Dramatization. I argue. He knew he wasn't going to die. That's ridiculous. It's food. You can
0: live a long time without food. Water not very long, but food, a long time. He's not going to die. But he perceived the value of his birthright versus the value of food. At that moment in time, he valued the food. So it tells us the mental state of Esau at that moment in time was the here and now, not the future. Future was not his concern. The here and now was. And that would make sense for someone whose livelihood is a hunter. What did I catch today? What will I catch tomorrow? How will I provide for myself from day to day? As opposed to one who plans long-term. Have a longer-term vision that measures out, not measured in days, but measured, measures in years or lifetimes. Someone who sees a long future is more valuable and in, in retrospect of their own life and people around them, and considerate of other people because there long-term consequences, long-term events not short-term immediate needs. And that is consistent with the separation between spirit and flesh. What is our flesh concerned with? The here and now. What do I need now? What is the spirit concerned with? What do I need by the end of my life? Or my children's lives? Or grandchildren's lives? Or generations to come lives? What's value to them? What What value does God place on things? So we distinguish our own lives separately just as Jacob and Esau had to be separate, much like Ishmael and Isaac had to be separate. The two are in opposition to one another. Flesh is in opposition to the spirit, Esau and Jacob opposition. And I point this out because I do not necessarily think or believe that, that, that Jacob is solely responsible for his actions, meaning he's responsible in his own what he does, but I believe he was inspired as well by God himself to do it. And we'll read more about that in the book of Matthew uh in a few minutes so esau was not tricked out of his birthright in my opinion i don't believe he was tricked at all i mean he knew full well he reasoned in verse 32 says look i'm going to die so what use of birthright he reasoned the value of the of the bowl of food versus the birthright and he weighed and chose the food over so it was not a trickery he wasn't uh, uh, uh swindled into it he knew full well he decided he made his decision and they got up, and of course, as the verse ends, in verse uh, thirty three or 34, Esau thus devalued or spurned or considered worthless his birthright as per what was going to happen that God
1: had given to Rebekah in the message beforehand. So you go to chapter 26. We'll get to Matthew in a few
0: minutes. Uh, God had, of course, explained to Isaac that the promise to Abraham is going to pass to Passed to him uh, to, 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 for the land, we get, of course, to settle it and such. So in verse, verse 26, Isaac, we have interaction with Isaac and Abimelech. Same, same Abimelech that, that Abraham's father interacts with. I assume the same one. There's no reason to otherwise. Uh, maybe he's older or, young, or much older by now, but it's also the same a commander, the whole, the same guy that had come into Abraham's life uh, prior, to Sarah's, prior to Isaac's birth, 60 years earlier. Give or take. I don't see the exact age. I'm not quite positive. Anyhow, uh, so in this instance, we have obviously Isaac. There's a famine. He has to go find somewhere to survive. Unlike Abraham, Isaac is not permitted to go to Egypt. Now, we discussed the past. There is no indication, Isaac, at least we got from Abraham's life and when he was alive, that Isaac ever had the opportunity or the reason to leave the land. Because, in my Daniel opinion, Isaac was offered, symbolically speaking, as a a sacrifice to God for that land. It is now his, so to speak. In in, in a symbolic format, of course. He didn't actually die, but Abraham was willing to offer him. The land being his, he bought it, so to speak, with his own life. He didn't actually die, per se, but symbolically he did. And therefore, it is now his. He's He's not to leave it in spite of its weaknesses, including the famines. Let's to this a little bit quicker because there's is going more important. I want to talk about in Malachi, uh, in the nature of Esau as well as Isaac, but, or, sorry, Jacob. But in this process, uh, Isaac obviously goes through with Abimelech and we, we know the story. I want to point out one thing to you, the same old story. Oh, she's my sister. We've heard that before many times again and we'll hear it again as we go through this in the future. Um, note the response of Abimelech. He said, oh, how dare you do such a thing? This is bad. You've got evil upon us. But then, what did Abimelech do? He ordered, no one's allowed to touch you or your wife. Abraham and Isaac have been living in this territory for many, many years.
1: They know the reputation of the Philistines. Did they just make this up? As in like, do you think the Philistines just had never done this thing before? Oh, no one's ever taken somebody, taken somebody else's wife?
0: Well, you could argue that's probably didn't happen, but I highly doubt it. Abraham knew the reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah, did he not? Yes. Abraham knew the reputation of the Egyptians. He knew the reputation of the Philistines too. Abraham knew what the reputations were, what their past par- practices were. When
1: Isaac first shows up, what's the thing the men ask? Oh, who's your wife? Oh, who's the girl? The first thing in their mouth, who's the girl? He knows the reputation. He knows what they would do to him. Would they have killed him? Probably.
0: Then we look at Abraham, so, well, Abraham just didn't have trust, didn't have faith. God was going to ba- have children, don't worry, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you could argue it with Abraham, but you can't argue
1: it with Isaac. Isaac's sons were already born. So God no longer needed Isaac to live. So God said, yeah, Phil's going to kill you, Isaac, to get your wife. So? He can't stop it. So I will argue that the uh, order from Abimelech, the, the decree in verse 11,
0: that no one's allowed to, to touch them, uh, it, it, it is needed because in an honest society, the decree would not be necessary. I mean, in an honest society, a society which obeys basic fear of God, would you randomly go up and say, hey, that girl's pretty. Take out your knife, slaughter the man, and take her as, as, as your own wife? Is that your normal behavior? I hope not. <laughs> that would not be a normal behavior. If that's not a normal behavior, then there's no reason for the man to fear me, to go and take, his wife, take my knife and slice his throat and go take his wife and go home. Well, however, if that was normal behavior, then that is a problem. And Isaac did have something to fear. So, of course, the king of Gerar orders that no one's allowed to touch him. And uh, it implies he himself may have had eyes on uh, Rebekah. I'm not positive, certain, because we don't know for certain, but it's possible. But what's more interesting is the nature of the envy the Philistines develop against Isaac. Unlike Abraham, what was Isaac known for? his crops. Abraham was not a crop grower. He's not a farmer. Abraham was a herdsman, a cattleman. He was not a farmer. What was Isaac? He was both. He went to Gerar and planted crops. And the crops planted, grew a hundredfold as as it records in that first year. Put
1: yourself in Philistine's shoes. You've been there for years, growing crops. How come your fields don't produce that well? How come when you plant your crops, you
0: don't get a hundredfold yield? You might get 30, which isn't awful, but not very great. What's so special about Isaac's field? Now, instead of self-examination, what's the situation between you and Isaac, what was the gut reaction of the people of the Philistines? You did it wrong, go away. We're taking your space. Go away. We'll take the field you just planted. We'll plant our own crops there, of course. We'll, be, we'll produce the same thing you did, right? We'll be equal. We'll be just as e- equally as grand. That didn't work. They pushed them out. That didn't work. So we'll push it out again. It's still not working. We're not as successful at crop growing as you are. I bring that up because I brought it to my kids last night. Nothing has changed the past 3,000, almost 4,000 years. Note what happens in modern-day Israel when the Israelis are in charge of cropland? What does it do? Even in the desert, what does it do? It produces the largest crops and huge pr- produce. They're able to export everywhere and until they're kicked out. The Philistines take the exact, the Palestinians take the exact same territory. What does it do then? It produces nothing. Utter wasteland. Goes back to desert and to trash and destroyed. And the, Pal- the Palestinians can't figure it out. How can it works for them but not for us? So, yeah, instead of reflecting why they perceive they can force it to happen, nothing has changed for nearly 4,000 years. Instead of self-reflection, what is distinctly different between myself and the Israelites or what's myself
1: and Isaac, I'll just get rid of who he is, get rid of him and take his stuff. And that'll fix it. And it doesn't.
0: Because they did not comprehend or were not willing to comprehend the distinction between themselves and Isaac. Why was God blessing Isaac just like he blessed Abraham? Why was this creator, this, this deity that Isaac believed in, why was it so successful while our Philistine idols were not
1: it's self-reflection and examination. And they weren't willing to do so. They really forced their way.
0: And did it work for them? No. Does it work for us? No.
1: We just discussed this in the past. The uncomprehending mule. God does not want an uncomprehending mule
0: that just does what he's told. Think it out. Figure out the complex reasons put them together, and figure out why something does or does not work. You have to understand that. We are human beings created as image. The Philistines of his time were too. No difference. But they weren't willing to examine the reasons why. They they just take it. And they still do
1: today. Just take it. It doesn't work. Once you take it, the blessings go away. So, we will not go into the details necessarily
0: of the actual uh, 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 wells themselves. Obviously, Isaac tries to undig or redig, sorry, redig the wells that Abraham had once dug prior to. To the relatively the innocuous or unimportant events being recorded there, I mean, obviously, there are things that Abraham did in his life that we don't have recorded. So, why are these quarrels about wells being recorded with, with Isaac? Uh, and of course, the same place that Abraham had once dug wells and quarreled uh, in the same reasons, in the same same interpretation as far as why the Phil- Palestinians or Philistines, sorry, uh, keep uh, keep persisting in that in that desire to take. Uh, we'll go into the details why, but there I, I think there is some prophetic reasons there in that we study the, the concept of wells themselves. As far as how the, 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 the Torah in particular, as well as Tanah, the rest of the prophet section, discusses wells, and they are symbolic of graves uh, in their nature and how they're used, the prophets. So, when, 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 when something goes into a well, you dig a well and water comes out, or watering well, that means there's life in the grave or life in the well. And when the well is dry or stopped up, there's no longer life there that is buried. Uh, That is a a consistent symbol used throughout uh, many, not all, but many of the prophets who use that symbol. And so when we have wells that Abraham dug and there was life in them, water, then they filled up, which is the life is then buried. Uh, It is frequently used in Christianity as a reference to Messiah himself uh, in that there's life in them. I'll go into all the details beyond that because Something else I want to bring up to you, which comes in our tour portion, the Hittite women. Get those Hittite women out.
1: Esau marries two Hittite women. They're Canaanites. Uh, I have a question for you, for your families, those of you who have been married before, or still are. Uh, who rules your house? You say, oh, well, the men. No, you don't. Who rules your house? <laughs> the wife does. The wife rules your house.
0: You may have, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that. Yeah. What, who decides what your house looks like? Who decides what is served and how people are taken care of and who takes care of the children? And how is that whole process done? Yes, there, your hand is up.
1: Uh, you know, they used to have that saying that said, a man's house, a man's home is his castle. Right. <laughs> No, they've amended that now to say every man lives in his wife's house.
0: (laughs) That's more accurate, too. (laughs) Yeah. The wife rules the house. So if you have the story, which we've read, obviously, when it comes to Isaac and Rebecca, between the two of them, who rules that house? I mean, the household. Well, Isaac. No, he doesn't. Rebecca does. And of course, she, she, we see, yeah, 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 he manages the wells and the, and the money. We see uh, how their relationship worked, which we recognize it. Uh, he was supposed to bless his sons and she's the one who like, you're blessing this one instead. Because she knew better. She, was, it was, she knew what was supposed to happen and she made it happen, of course, in her own way. Well, so I have a question for you then. When it comes to the two Hittite women in Esau's
1: house... Who ruled Esau's house? I think it's a harder question because there's two women. But no matter what we say, Esau didn't rule his
0: house. One or both, those two women did. And what is their tradition? What is their way of life? Is it anywhere at all close to Rebecca?
1: No. They are Canaanite idol worshipers. I don't know how many idols they worshiped. I don't know how many things they
0: sacrificed to whatever. It doesn't make a difference. But they're the ones who ruled. So this was a constant problem for once, once Esau, had, Esau had done so as far as the, the, the issues between Isaac and Rebekah with against Esau, his wives, the wives he chose. Uh, he chose Canaanite women that they did not want, they were not properly fit for him or his family. So in this instance, this, this, this problem that was between them, uh, it is in Malachi, which we learn, there are certain rules, certain ways which God has when it comes to marrying women or marrying your spouses. Uh, yes, Larry, your hand is up again.
1: I thought they were Ishmael's daughters.
0: He his third wife was a, a daughter from Ishmael, but his first oh. two wives were from Hittite. The Hittite that Elon and Frederick uh, the ones get uh, the other the other, uh, other men's name. They're both distant or, or friends. People were around during Abraham's time period. So in Malachi, uh, we'll go to. Okay, so this uh, to Malachi in the first two chapters, there taking this is being taken slightly out of context. I'm doing this on purpose because I'll I'll put it in context in like 15 minutes from now. But out of context, if you go to Malachi 2, uh, verse 11, it discusses the nature of marriage and selecting a wife, and that when you marry someone that is not fitting. As God's viewpoint is, you have profaned the institution of marriage. There's a strange way of looking at it. But you profane, if you don't marry someone who is properly fitting, you now profaned the institution of marriage in God's viewpoint. Now we don't look at it that way, but God does. He says, This person's not fitting for you. You the marriage is not applicable. This does not work. This cannot succeed. Esau, of course, has chosen two women that were not fitting for him. Therefore, as far as God was concerned, he profaned the institution of marriage. Now, this is not a reflection on Esau in his upbringing, nor is a reflection on God or anybody else. It's just an act of who are you marrying? What does this household? What's it going to look like? How is it going to live? As mentioned before, who rules a household? It's not the husband; it's the wife. How are children raised? What is their value system? Uh, Men have a tendency to do a particular thing when they raise
1: children. We're all guilty of it. We have a few tools in our tool belt. We have our strength.
0: We have our knowledge to inform this child what they must do or must not do.
1: We either force it or inform it. And those are our two dominant tools that we use. Our affection is not the first most dominant tool used. When a mother, however, deals with her children, with a boy or girl, her strength
0: and her information, which means corrections, through words, is
1: not her first two tools. Affection is. I feel. When your affection is your first
0: two tools, whether the, whether a, whether the, whether the child is a boy or a girl, they yeah. respond faster.
1: I feel
0: they're quicker to respond because children respond to affection. When the children grow up, when they are adults or late teenagers, that's when the men's information, you will do this and you will not do that. That's where it becomes valuable.
1: But early on, it isn't. <laughs> it just isn't. It results in rebellion and anger. So that is a
0: weakness that most men have. So when it comes to Rear child rearing when they're little, the, the the feminine tool bag, which is affection to 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 work and train, is far more effective because she respond quickly to it, boy or girl. The information the men use isn't terribly valuable, until so they can actually apply it when full logic is fully there. You're looking at like, teenagehood sometimes, <laughs> or 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 later, <laughs> but. It may vary from child to child, but uh, that's how it's supposed to work. So when it comes to daughters, the daughters of Het that Esau has married, Esau's children, who are they going to respond
1: to? Will it be Esau or will it be their mothers? Well, their mothers. Esau's not hunting anyway. Their mothers who they respond to first. So, hence, it is very, very important
0: when you're selecting a wife and wives, when you're selecting a husband, to find one that is properly fitting, else you have distorted and, as God points out, profaned, in Malachi, profaned the institution of marriage, making a disgrace. So, in Esau's case, he has chosen two of that were not fitting for him or his upbringing, and therefore, he has profaned the institution of marriage in the eyes of Isaac, and Rebecca, as it points out, is a cursor, hurts her soul. She's not wanting to live, per se, with this choice that Esau has made. So Hittite women is a problem. Uh, now, of course, as we, as, we, as we continue on going through this process, we'll learn, obviously, by the time chapter 27 shows up, when it comes to blessing time, Isaac is somewhere around 120-ish years old. It would take 10 years. We need to debate on the exact age. Um, he's going to live for like another 60 more years. He's not actually at his deathbed, but he doesn't know that. He's just a blind old man. He's not sure how long he's going to live. Apparently, it's a very, very long time. His life must have been a lot, lot easier after. I don't know. Either way, so he's going to live a long time. He doesn't know that yet. So he's going to live for at least 60 more years, maybe even more, depending on the exact age he was when these blessings took place. Um, Esau, of course, is to go out to hunt and to earn his blessing, he's going to go hunt your game to earn your blessing from Isaac. And uh, what does Jacob have to do? He has to lie to take the blessing from Isaac. Now, I want to point out again Isaac and Rebecca were not ignorant fools. They both knew full well what God had spoken to Rebecca. I, I, I granted the text does not specify Rebecca told Isaac per se what God spoke, but the fact we have it written down here in our texts of what god said to rebecca she had to tell somebody somebody had to write it down whether jacob wrote it down or or isaac wrote it down but somebody had to have the information in order to give to moses to write to record whatever was not recorded prior to that so in this instance uh, we have a lot of information that but rebecca apparently had and i i would presume that she would not have concealed that from isaac because that would be utterly foolish And in particular, Isaac, his response to Esau's, hey, you got the wrong guy, his response indicates Isaac was fully aware of what he was doing and that he trembled with great fear, perplexity. He realized, "Uh uh-oh, I planned one thing and it yet switched on me (laughs) and I wasn't planning that. And I don't believe Isaac did that in shock of like, oh, I just had no surprise. I was just totally surprised. Since God is called the fear of Isaac, and Isaac is sitting here fear and trembling at this moment in time. Who's Isaac afraid of? Is he afraid of Esau.
1: No. Is he afraid of, of, of Jacob? No. Is he even afraid of Rebecca? No. Who's he afraid of? God. Because he knew
0: I tried to do something that God said, no, it wasn't supposed to be this way. So, yeah, it's right. He would be afraid of God. So, uh, this whole conversation, I want to go the whole conversation between uh, that happens of Esau and Jacob and Isaac and, and Rebekah, we going back to the blessings and such and the, and the goats and the skins and such. Uh, obviously, there's, the, the whole purpose of this is to show a strong division between Esau and Jacob, which is important to do because they had a, God was driving a wedge between these two men. And it's important to drive that wedge because God is the one who does it. So, and as Esau concludes at the very end of that, uh, that, 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 that section, that he perceived he was tricked both times. He is lying to himself. The first time of the birthright, he was definitely not tricked. That was an outright conscious decision he made. Because he valued something far greater than the future. He valued the present. So I, Esau now has a distorted personal viewpoint, which he has self-distorted or self-delusioned as far as when he was or was not tricked. With regards to, obviously, the blessing, yes, you could argue that was definitely being tricked in some form and that he, he was duped or tricked. And As Rebecca pointed out, may your curse be upon me, her, not him. So any anger Esau has toward Jacob, it is a divine work, so to speak. But it's divine work by God who orchestrated this whole thing has to be against Rebekah, liked or not. So I say it's divine work because we're going to jump to New Testament passage. Now, this passage is not, a part, not, it's, it's not talking about Esau and uh, Jacob in particular. But the concept itself, so I want to bring up to your attention. It's a, who is responsible for these types of events. So go to the book of Matthew. This is our, our New Testament portion for today. Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Matthew 10 discusses a, a persecution process, a division between families and between people, those who follow God and those who don't follow God, those who are listening and those who are not listening, and from families to families. This is the division we're discussing in Matthew chapter 10. Now, this is given in the context of Messiah sending his 12 disciples out the world and have them preach the the gospel and what they will experience. Now, note, I bring this up in this context on purpose because the separation, the division between these men, meaning between Esau and Jacob, is a similar type of division that he refers to here for what they believe, because Esau and Jacob did not believe the same thing. So in Matthew chapter 10, starting judge of verse 16, Matthew 10, 16, it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and will scourge you in their synagogues, and you will be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake. As a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about what or how you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now a brother will deliver up brother to death and father his child, and the children will rise up against their parents and cause and if put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures the end will be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to so another one. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more would they have called those of his household? They would do not fear them, but there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden, though not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak and speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but can, it cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy the, both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for copper coin, and one of them falls into the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs your head are numbered, do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than sparrows. That whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter worth worth more more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me after is not worthy of me either. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my name's sake will find it. That portion of Matthew 10, I've before, is taken in the, context, in the context of when he dished it out, was to his disciples. But the idea itself, I want you to contemplate. Who is responsible for setting mother against daughter and son against father and brother against brother? Who is responsible
1: for that? It is not the people themselves. It is our God. So we have Esau
0: against Jacob or Jacob against Esau. Who is responsible for that division? God is. God is doing it. And we say, but that's not right. That's not fair. They, they he was a good man, blah blah blah, yada, yada, yada. Any excuse you can come up with. God wanted them divided up. He did not want them to grow and continue together. They were divided up when they were infants, before they were born, divided up when they're in their youth, divided up in their adulthood, and then physically divided up over a long period of time as they grew and became men, and of course, obviously, had children of their own. Their children remained divided up. God wanted them separate. The person responsible for doing this is God Himself. And what's His reason for doing it? It's for his sake. It is not for the sake of Jacob, nor is it for the sake of Esau, nor for the sake of Jacob's descendants. It's for God's sake. He's the one who wants it done because it benefits him and what he wants done in the world and these men's lives. This division was not done necessarily for Jacob and his own personal well-being. Although Rebecca, why is that? She's concerned about Esau killing him. God wanted it done because God wants his name to be great. We discuss our father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but what makes them so distinguished, distinguished men is our God that chose them amongst all others. Their greatness is not their own, it's our God's greatness that made them great. That's the same problem the Philistines couldn't comprehend when they kept pushing. Isaac out they couldn't comprehend it is his god that makes him great not him
1: so god pushes away and god brings in close not men does it what it's important to understand the distinguishing there uh, we're going to continue on a little bit before
0: we go into Malachi, which Malachi has additional information about the same topic, the same problem that God is doing this, and he knows what he's doing. So as I mentioned before, uh, it, this whole idea that Jacob tricking uh, Isaac about how bad it was or how, what, what negative uh, connotations came from that, uh, it's 28, Isaac has accepted it. Actually, technically, 27 he accepted it, 20% of fear and tremble. But uh, 28 indicates that Isaac has realized or content, uh, consented the fact that Jacob got this and he deserved it. He deserved the blessing. That's important that Isaac realized that. That he know that this blessing was rightly given to the proper child. 28 discusses that. So 28, uh, it's only, only a few verses there to discuss the topic. It says it says, so I this verse one. So Isaac summoned Jacob and blessed him. Mind you, this is after this whole tricking thing with the whole goat and the, and, and, and the smelling and the feeling of his of his hands. He instructed him and said, Do not take a wife from the Canaanite woman, meaning do not follow the shoes of your brother Esau. Bring this up to you. Don't forget. Esau did not
1: know Sarah. Nor did Jacob. Esau and Jacob only knew Keturah, which is
0: Abraham's second wife. That's whom they knew because he had remarried after Sarah's death. Keturah was just another Canaanite woman in the area. So it did not necessarily seem counterintuitive for Esau to have married a Canaanite woman, just like grandpa did. What's the difference? Well, not thinking it through understanding grandpa did that after all of his possessions after all the whole story grandpa would have taught him i imagine Esau was about 14 15 years old when grandpa dies the entire storyline what abraham how he got to where he was he ignored all of that and with the end result well yet you can't forget the path you took to get to the end result the path matters too so the path does matter. In this case, obviously, Jake, Isaac is telling Jacob, do not follow the path of your brother. Do not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. Arise, go to Bad Aram, to the house of Bethul. <coughs> Excuse me. Bethul, uh, you, uh, your, uh, your, your mother's father. Take a wife from there, from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may El Shaddai bless you, make you fruitful, make you numerous, may you be a congregation of peoples. May he grant you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may possess the land of your sojourns which God gave to Abraham this is an interesting blessing this blessing results in an interesting result uh, sorry, an uh, interesting uh, outcome at the end when the Israelites do their first the, the, their first um, uh, their first what do you call it? The first fruit gifts, The first fruit offerings they're supposed to recite my father was being was trying to be destroyed by an Aramean referring to Jacob, before he went down to Egypt and then got back out again. That's part of the first fruit blessing that the offering is supposed to be brought to. This blessing that God is, that Isaac has is given to, to Jacob, he's going to repeat or re-go through the cycle, refollow follow Abraham's footsteps. Think about that. Isaac is going to send Jacob to retrace Abraham's footsteps. Hence the blessing, may your God go with you, and may the blessing of Abraham follow you. To get that blessing,
1: Jacob, you're going to walk through Abraham's shoes. It's an interesting blessing that Isaac's giving to his son.
0: He doesn't know how long it'll be. It's roughly 20, some, some argue longer years before, Isaac, before Jacob returns. But he's going to walk through Abraham's footsteps. And that's, of course, what he winds up doing. Of course, he takes off and Isaac with this blessing at verse 4 may he grant your blessing of Abraham to with you and to your offspring with you. He is, he is recognizing and accepting the blessing that God gave to Isaac was going to be transferred to Jacob in this case. So he grasped that, he accepted it. He's moving on. This whole idea of blessing Esau failed on him, He recognized and submitted to God and God's will. Of course, obviously, Jacob is sent off and uh, and, and that's when Esau then, for some reason, gets a clue and realizes, oh, it's these two Hittite women that mom and dad don't like. Um, I'll tack on a third. Yeah, here's a problem with that concept. Let's pretend, just for, just for academic purposes, that uh, you have uh, one wife, and then you marry a second wife, and then you marry a third wife. Of
1: those three women, who is the first wife, and who is in charge of the two? The first one.
0: So we, certain cultures still do this today. They have multiple wives, and there's a first wife, and a second, and third, and, and so on. How many wives you wind up, wind up having? Uh, regardless of how many wives you have, who is the inheritor, the heir, of your possessions and your wealth and your strength? The child of the first wife. So this band-aid fix Esau is doing is a drop of bucket because this third wife would literally be wife number three down the list. She will not be in charge of anything until the first two die. That's not going to happen anytime soon because apparently most of these men seem to outlive their wives anyway. I don't know why. They just did.
1: Uh, anyhow, so that it, it, was, it was a
0: paltry uh, attempt at Esau to try to win over good graces with mom and dad. Uh, it's not terribly effective and somewhat pointless. It's a band-aid fix. So I'm going to go to our half- tour reading our portion. This is in Malachi. Uh, as I mentioned before, I took a, a, a snippet out of context earlier on purpose, which regards to if you choose a wrong wife, you've put wrong spouse, you know, but wife figure. you can profane the institution of marriage that way. So be very careful who you choose and who is proper fitting for you or your future or your children's future. So in our half tour to portion discusses a similar issue and God, it, God is able to explain in more detail his issues with Esau in particular. It's how we get a, a better characterization of Esau and the man and what his shortcomings were and how to not be like him. So Malachi chapter one, uh, this discusses uh, the, the, the compares, the difference between Esau and Jacob early on, of course. But then also the failings of Jacob's descendants is also discussed here too. That just because you happen to have a good start does not necessarily mean you will continue on through in generations to come, meaning that they will continue on the path that you took. So Malachi chapter 1, it says, the burden of the word of Jehovah to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says Jehovah, yet you say in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? says Jehovah, yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid in waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Pause. When you discuss the concept that Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, the term hated, um, in English we have basically one concept of hate. Uh, the idea of just utter disgust and cannot stand and wish destruction upon. Uh, well, in, in Hebrew, there's, there's far more subtle ways of determining the, the word hate um, in that you may happen to dislike or you may happen to be against someone or something. You can hate it if you're against it. So it, either way it works, it, it, it works the same process, but the, that it, it is far more subtle than, than in English, which means the word term hate. One, so in this case, well, Esau of course I have hated. It. Even though verse four, even though Edom, really Esau, has said, "We have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places." Thus does Jehovah hosts; they may build, but I will throw down. They should be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom Jehovah will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, Yehovah has magnified beyond the border of Israel. Pause again. This seems somewhat harsh. Uh, Edom, uh, they said, well, we'll just re- we'll rebuild it. You destroyed us, God. We'll just build it up again. Okay, Esau. Go back, Esau. Oh, mom, dad, you didn't like my two wives. Well, I'll just have a third one, and then you'll be happy. Again, that's not how it works. You can't go back and fix the screw-up you made. The screw you made was a a self-willed screw-up. And guess what? It comes with consequences. So in this case, Edom says, okay, God, you destroyed my land and and, and impoverished me. Well, I'll just rebuild it and it will be fine. They no, you won't. I'm going to destroy this as well. I'm against you, Esau. I'm against you, Edom. Verse six, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my reverence? Says Jehovah of hosts. To you, priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But you say in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says Jehovah of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while, he is being, while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says Jehovah of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle a fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says Jehovah of hosts. And pause there for a minute in the middle of this, 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 section, this section. We're discussing issues, and these were, were showing the priests that they are descendants of Jacob, of course, and in particular the tribe of Levi. And they are choosing to use, obviously, profane items for offerings. We understand that. They're off, not offering a quality. They're offering a quantity or cheap stuff that doesn't cost them anything. So the idea is that they'll offer this, but they would not do it to obviously to men. So in this case, we see that they are not honoring their father. Now, we, st- we start out to Malachi chapter two,
1: chapter one, sorry. Uh, in Esau's case, Edom's case, he was hated by God because, well, it was a self-will issue. Esau, well, I'm going to destroy but God to do it anyway. That's,
0: no, you won't. Esau and the man himself who is alive was well, a self-will issue. I want to do this, what's here and now, what's, what's good in my eyes here and now. That's not what God valued. What's value in the future? What did Abraham value? Just think about that. What, did he, what was his value? Was his value the here and now was the future? His complaint always was, God,
1: I have no son. have no children. My future will be inherited by somebody else. Abraham's focus was his future.
0: What was Esau's focus? His here and now, I'm hungry. Feed me now. What is this case we have right here? We have this case of Edom, which we started in right uh, chapter one. It's to point out that what was Edom's issue? Well, I'm injured, I'm destroyed now, I'll just rebuild now. I'll fix it now. He goes, no, you won't. You don't understand why it happened. And of course, he goes here, the, 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 they are not honoring Jacob's descendants, that is, the, the, the priests don't honor their father because they're focusing on the here and now. Well, I gave you animals, here they are, here's some blind ones, lame ones, whatever, just just, just, just appease God and know God's good now. It doesn't work that way. You're not focusing on your future, you're focusing on the here and now. That's not the goal. The goal is your future. The uncomprehending horse is not valuable. The value of one is one who understands the future and, 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 and tries to comprehend what God's doing. Now, these same people with the here and now would not have offered those same offerings to their governor because the governor would have killed them for it. Because the here and now in that instance mattered. But the here and now in God's did not. That's laundry. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do you want to hear it? it says, uh, so I had no pleasure in you. Uh, that was uh, I just lost my place here ah right verse uh, 11 for from the rising of the sun into its going down my name should be great among the Gentiles every place incense should be offered to my name and pure offerings from my name should be great among the nations says Jehovah of hosts now this is a fascinating point so Jacob you failed to do your job so guess what others will succeed Others from other nations, other peoples, Gentiles, they will honor me. Not the same way, mind you, they can't offer offerings per se, but they can, they can honor God in the, 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 the prayers they offer, they give what they can offer, their incense they can offer, they can offer their God. This is also equally important on Esau's case. So Esau get, gets booted out. Tough luck, you're on your own. But what can he still do? Even in his circumstances, he can still honor his God. He can still return not to his former status, but he can return to following his God's instruction, how to live what he can do now. There's always a consequence to every action you do. You can't fix or make the consequence go away, but you can make the consequence of less effect. Effect, effect, less effect. If, if If you care for or take care of what you're doing and how you're doing it, he points out here, Malachi, the Gentiles will comprehend and they will do what Jacob's descendants failed to do. They will follow suit. They will pay attention. They'll do right. And that's good. But you, verse 12, profane it in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit is food, it's contemptible. You all say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says you have hosts. You bring stone, the lame and the sick, that you bring an offering. Shall I accept this from your hand, says Jehovah? But curse be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and makes a vow, but sacrifice the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says Jehovah of hosts. My name is be feared among the nations. First chapter, chapter two. And now, O oh priest, this kind of is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says Jehovah of hosts, I will set a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says Jehovah of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave to him that he might fear me, so he did fear me, and was reverent right before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was, was not found in his lips. He had walked with me in peace and equity, and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is a messenger of Yuhovah of, of hosts. But you have departed from the way, you have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the peoples because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality
1: in the law. So priests, you're going to follow the same faith that Esau got. You're toasted. Esau was kicked out. Guess what, priests? I was against him, and I'm against you. a little bit further have we not one father has not one God created us all why
0: do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of our fathers Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves he has married the daughter of a foreign God may the have cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this being awake and aware and he who brings an offering to you of hosts. Pause there again. Uh, that obviously is a reference to Judah in bringing in, or the Israelites, sorry, the southern tribe, bringing in a foreign entities, foreign people, foreign women into their lives and marriage. Uh, this is, as I mentioned before, which I had taken this first out of context a little bit and applied to Esau, because Esau was not blind when he married the Hittite women. There's also a distortion or prophet profaneness of, es- of, of God's institution of marriage, which Esau had done. And just patching it up by taking on a third wife was not the solution. Let's see, verse uh, 13. This is the second thing you do, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, the weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with good will from your hands.
1: Pause. This is an important concept. When we offer our offerings, we think, "Oh, but you know, I, I'm heartfelt. I'm crying. I'm and God, please, I'm pleading." Um, wrong offering. Oops. A uh, sacrifice is offered to God of thanks, is supposed to be a celebration, a joyous time when you are in mourning and sorrowful.
0: Don't confuse the offerings. Don't mix them up. God doesn't like contamination on things. That includes an intermixing of different offerings together. They have their own specific reasons on purpose. Much like he does not like the worship of foreign gods mixed with his worship, he doesn't like his own offerings mixed up. Do not cover his altar with tears and weeping. That's what pagans do. You want to offer tears and weeping to your God? Go to that, that idol and offer it there. That's not how our God works. Our God is not interested in your tears and in, 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 in offerings of your, of, your, of your weeping. He's interested in you and what you've done and what you will do. It's a determined method. I'm going to do this, God, because you said to do this. This is where I'm doing it. You're paying attention to what you God asks. Again, you're not an uncomprehending horse. Or, or a mule. Horse or a mule. Correct. The, the phrase actually is, is a mule.
1: Oh, where was I? Oh, verse
0: 14. Yeah, you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant, by an agreement, but did not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit. Why one? Because God seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For Lord, God it just says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, and therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Pause again. The value that God saw in Abraham, and in particular with Sarah, this is between the two of them, was that Abraham would teach his children to follow his God. Godly children. That was God's objective. That's what he saw in Abraham. That's what he wants with Isaac. That's what he wanted with Esau. That's what he wants with Jacob. Godly children. That's the point of this covenant agreement marriage. Godly children. Do that and you'll do well. You have, verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words, saying, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of Jehovah. He delights in them. Or you say, where
1: is the God of justice? That is a fascinating statement. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget that. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of Jehovah. Look around the world around you. Don't ask this question, but you say, oh, that's a good person. Oh, they're doing well. In whose eyes? In your eyes? Or in God's eyes? There's a difference. We see with our own eyes. We hear with our ears.
0: God doesn't. So when someone is good in God's eyes,
1: that's great. If someone is arrogant or foolish in God's eyes, that's also great. They look great in ours, but on his.
0: In that, in that when we declare, but God, that's a good man. You should bless him
1: or you should help this. And this is, a, apparently, according to him, that wearies him I can't blame him honestly
0: do I know what is or isn't good in a person no I know what isn't
1: good according to the instructions what God said how to live your life but I don't know anything about anybody else you or anybody else I don't decide what is good God decides what's good he says it he does it and he does it right
0: when we complain and say, but God, he was a good man. He, he, you should bless him for this
1: or bless him for that. That apparently, according to God's world, that wearies him. I do not wish to weary my God. May God's will be done. So
0: it comes to Jacob and Esau. Esau, yeah, you had your good point. You had some serious bad flaws. So God separated you. Yeah, I say, like, oh, well, but, but Jacob deceived, yada, 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 whatever. Reality is, you can argue that Jacob deceived, and it's all Jacob's fault. You can argue that Esau was duped, uh, and that Esau was just an innocent victim. Fine, you can argue if you wish. But reality is, when we say that so-and-so was good and so-and-so else was bad, that apparently, for as God's concerned, that wearies him. I do not wish to weary my God. When I decide that, well, I like this, what's good now for me here? This, one, this is what best for me? Looking at what is, what I want immediately, what satisfies my needs
1: now, again. That's what God got after Esau for. Foolish man. You don't know what the future is.
0: You don't pay attention to what the future holds. When I tell my sons, my daughters, be careful who you marry. Pay attention. Come on, so many times I can't even count. <laughs> Choose wisely. <laughs> Pay attention to what the consequences are. Look at the future, not the immediate here and now. That's what matters. Hopefully they listen. Right? God willing. <laughs> Don't harass me now. She harassed me about how long it took to marry my wife. It took us six years.
1: <laughs>
0: i a little slow. But anyway, uh, Pay attention. It matters. Pay attention. God measures our actions not just here and now, but the future too. So, God values that. He valued it and saw that in Jacob and Esau, he wanted them divided up. They were not fit to live together. He pointed that out to Rebecca and of course, Isaac tried to circumvent that and God said, no, you won't. These two must be separated. One is blessed because one valued the blessings and the instructions of Abraham, and one did not. Hope it makes sense. Any question about our top Torah portion, our Torah portion, or our uh, New Testament discussion regarding this this uh, this issue? Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, this, there are a few opinion points we give up to you. Give out to you. Uh, in it, uh, it is possible because since we're going to read the next Torah portion, or we? But Jeff will regarding the interactions between Laban and uh, a bit of Jacob, that uh, the character of Laban, mind you, that is the descendants of Abraham's family. And they're all idol worshippers. It is conceivable that Abraham's family had the same character of Laban. Huh. Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> or is the kind of character of men that they, and Abraham, God said, uh, yeah, Come out of your family and leave them behind. Well, yeah, <laughs> they're <That's> not so <also> good. <laughs> just an opinion, in the piece that they'll throw out there. Just, just my my thoughts uh, as far as what uh, what what that what what that Jacob is now going to experience. What Abraham's family was actually like, and uh, yeah, he'll have a fun time learning that one.
1: Any comments or questions about this topic, this Torah portion we covered today, uh, or anything else? I'm done early. That's great. A few times we're early. My kids will be happy. <laughs> All right. Oh yes. Sorry, Larry. Your hands up. Go ahead. You're uh, you're still muted. We, I can't hear you. you unmute yourself, sir. That, oh, almost. There you go. So this may not be a fair question, but how do you reconcile that what you've been talking about about looking towards the future with the master saying, take no thought of the future. Right.
0: <laughs> so, in the case of the, the master's instructions in, in, uh, in Matthew, as far as when people come, when things come, come to you or, 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 or your private counsels councils and people ask questions, about it, don't know what you're going to say, what you're going to do, how it's going to work out. Note, he did not specify about uh, who, or, sorry, how you conduct yourself in your own personal life, meaning what laws you do or do not keep, or do you specify uh, how to not marry someone or how to marry someone, because all those topics were already discussed in our Torah. So when I'm referring to take, pay attention to the future and the case of the Torah discussing the life you have at your home, the master's instructions there discuss what's going to happen in that when he makes a division in your home with what is right versus what is wrong and divides them up. He is pointing out in Matthew ten the reconciliation of those two individuals, the brother to brother or father to son or mother to mother or brother to daughter or whatnot, the reconciliation is not listed in his instructions because it's not ours to do. So it's not, not. so that concerns me what we're discussing with my children and what I, how I raised them or how God or how, sorry, not God, how Isaac and Rebecca tries to raise their sons. They clearly had a different viewpoint of future and that, Esau had a viewpoint, a future of the here and now, the future didn't matter. Well, we, we may consider that future doesn't matter per se in the form that God will take care of you, but you have to be following God to begin with. God will take care of your future if you're following him to begin with. If I say, okay, God, here's your list of, you know, I'm using this number arbitrarily, of your 10 instructions, <laughs> um, I will choose to follow instructions uh, 7, 3, and 9. I'm going to bypass the other ones then the consequence comes with that. My future is now damaged or destroyed or, or tainted. Even though I may believe in God, he may still take care of me per se, in that he won't say, kill me immediately. But uh, there's, 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 there's an acute lack of success in that I have chosen to ignore certain instructions that my God has given me. In this case, Esau chose to ignore certain instructions that his parents and his grandfather would have given him. far as how to live your life properly jacob of the hand did not so they followed the instructions that god commended abraham for that abram would teach his children grandchildren accordingly and god would say good job abraham and of course jacob follows suit and follows the same instructions to to within reason we don't know all the details um but ease the hand said esau says forget you i don't need your instructions and that same mentality, of course, comes all the way down the stream, thousands of years later, to uh, King Herod, as I mentioned earlier. King Herod being in charge of Messiah's time, time of birth. King Herod's the one who brought an idol into the temple of God. This massive golden eagle that was supposed to be looked up to and looked up at as you entered, as you entered God's temple. A disgusting symbol of, of idol worship. He may have restored stuff, but he also brought contamination with it. And when it was pointed out to him, you can't do this, he killed everybody who said, you can't do this. Or you did something wrong, and you're not supposed to do this, and they're all now dead. So, oh, too bad for you. So, instead of him following instructions, he wanted what was glorifying him, what helped him out at, the, at, at that moment in time. So, Herod, the descendant of Esau, had the same problem that Esau himself had. So, in the case of what you say, besides discussion, what you say is one thing. Do you mean he'll fill you up when when you, when you are brought forth for his name's sake, when when you're punished or when you're brought up for trial, whatever it may be. But how you live your life is totally independent. That's separate from from, from what Messiah sent you out to do. the life is what God instructed you to do, which we inherit of course through Moses and his instruction we wrote down. So God instructed our lives and how to live them. Esau chose to negate or throw away throughout that instruction, and as a result, it was to his own detriment. Jacob chose to follow that instruction, and it blessed him in the process. As far as now that he is blessed, now that he is usable, because when you're following God, you're now usable. God can use you. When he sends you out to do something, don't worry about it, because you're now God's tool. You'll now follow, and you will be in the position that God has put you in, as far as what words you have to say. We will ask you questions. You are now following God's instructions, and he'll bless you in it. If Esau tried to do what Messiah is instructing his disciples then and there at his time, if Esau was somehow miraculously brought back from time and
1: brought Messiah's presence at that moment in time, it wouldn't work. Because Esau wasn't following God. So you're talking about the two things, don't take any thought beforehand, what you shall say or speak. There's also don't, take, don't worry about your daily requirements, right. as long and as I guess as you're, as it, you're always it, wanting the word every day. Right. So, so,
0: so in, in, the, in the daily requirements as far as your, what you will eat, what you will, will, what you will consume, those are also, again, people who God has sent out to do them, but they are following God to begin with. I would not, I would not mm-hmm. put it to Messiah to say those same words to someone who does not follow God. If, if if someone comes along and says, "Oh yeah, you're the son of God, or you're 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 Messiah, or you're God Himself," so yeah, screw you. And he says, "Oh, okay, don't worry about it. What you're going to say, I'll, I'll provide it for you." What kind of God is that? I'll give you everything you need, or anything. Although you can just say, "Screw me," well, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? As Abraham points out, you wouldn't. The, the justice and the unjust don't get mixed together like that. So in this case, we have since since Abraham pointed that out as well. We have a pretty consistent case that Messiah himself was not talking to a bunch of screw you, God, type of people, as Esau was, that kind of man. And so it was Herod. So he was talking to the type of people. Who the type of people he was talking to? The type that Jacob were like. When Jacob left his
1: household, which we'll read next week, when Jacob leaves his household and goes on, what does he bring with him? The clothes on his back. What else? I don't know. Nothing else listed. He sleeps on the ground on a rock.
0: There's no tent. There's no, 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 no provision he brought for himself. He may have brought us a little food here or there. We're not sure. But nothing else. He just ran. Was he concerned about the food to take care of and all, the, all his provisions and all his needs? God did. Why? Because just like Messiah's disciples, he was being sent out by the hand of God as a God will ride for him. Esau, on the other hand, as they're from Malachi, God said, I sent you out and I'm destroying you. You're terrible. I'm getting rid of you. You are no value to me. There's a big difference between those two men and a big difference in their outcomes. Does that make sense?
1: Hopefully that's how I reconcile them, at least. Any comments or questions is regarding it, this topic? There- yes oh, oh, oh try again you accidentally muted yourself who are you talking yeah yeah you you muted yourself
0: yeah. again and you're starting to speak so i was not sure what you what you were going to
1: say go ahead oh yeah because i thought that probably i was finished but does is it the scripture say that he sent him away with with riches to give to to buy his wife uh, he, I was with when, Jacob uh, when uh, I, yeah no Then they give him a bunch of stuff so that he can, then he got robbed of it no. nope nope
0: uh-uh. not for Jacob nope he was sitting out with nothing i, I like say he may have sent him some food I mean, yeah, it's a long walk <laughs> a very long walk <laughs> I imagine maybe maybe they gave him a map you know follow this route to here's the here's the the instruction how to get there I don't know maybe he had a piece of paper and a map on it map, map in it but he would have traveled, mostly traveled from town to town. He could have bought some food along the way, not positive. He didn't seem to stay in the towns. He didn't stay, stay in the outskirts or away from them for the most part, uh, so, which is probably a good thing. But no, he didn't really give him much provision at all. He was kind of on his own. Go figure out your way to get there, How, whatever that looked like. That's why Jacob and, had to work for his wife. So he wasn't given a big dowry to go buy one. Right. Yeah, he had to work for his wives for years. So he, yeah, he could have bought them, but he didn't. He had to work for them. There's a lot of things he had to work for. Uh, he'd work his wife, much like how Abraham had to work for it. So it, it's an interesting way of life, but it's similar how the disciples sent out, Jacob sent out similarly, in the same same type of fashion, it mean, meaning not by the same words, but as far as the same route being taken. Uh, the wandering person with nothing on your back, they just took the clothing you got, maybe some money to buy food, and you're on your way. Uh, and it would not have been wise to send him with a whole lot of provisions because that's how you get robbed. Robbers take, take stuff that way. Robbers tend to leave poor people alone because there's nothing there to rob, usually. Uh, there are exceptions. Anyway, so yeah, that, that's how I reconcile them, though. That, that I, I find the characters from the two men very different from Messiah's disciples and what he sent them to go out and do, as well as the, and, and Jacob in the same category. And then it said Esau in his category and, and, and King Herod and what God did for them and against them. I put it in totally different worlds because they have two different ways. One followed God's instructions as best they could, and one abandoned God's instructions as best they could, and as a result, their outcomes were very different. Um, they may have been descendants of Abraham in, in, in their in their biology, not descendants of him in their way of life, and that way of life is where God was measuring. Any
1: questions or comments regarding this topic? All right, we'll go ahead and close the prayer then. Oh. <clears throat>
0: Almighty God, our great Father, thank you for teaching us, Father, for instructing us along our way in the path that we take. Father, we ask you to bless us and keep us in, on a good path wherever it leads, Father, for you are in charge and we trust you. You are a good God and you are a good, a good provider. And Father, the path that we take, it is good in your eyes, whether we understand it or not. But we ask you to bless us and bless the time we have with one another that the visiting we do, and Father, in our homes throughout the coming weekend as well as the holiday, second holiday of Thanksgiving. Father, may, you, may you bless all of our homes and our people whom we love. May we glorify you, Father, for your wisdom, your patience, your kindness. We praise you, Father, in Yeshua's name. Amen.
1: You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the
0: website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O, Hallel.info.